Let's take our Bibles this morning and open together, please, the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 as we come to God's Word this morning. Of course, as I've mentioned before, not to be ultra-redundant, but we are in Men on the March. That's our emphasis. We're pursuing godly Christian lives. I guess if we could call it anything, it would be a pursuit of biblical masculinity. Right? It's Amen? It's okay to be a godly man. Uh, there will be nothing greater that you can do for your family uh, than to men and then to love your wife and to be a godly man. And of course, our prayer is that God would help us be, be great examples uh, in the culture and the society in which we live. There's, there are terms that have been thrown around, created, uh, coined, like, you, like I mentioned last week, there's a term, uh, toxic masculinity. How many of you have ever, you've, we've all heard that term, toxic masculinity. And to some extent, it's true. There is such a thing as toxic masculinity. Uh, men, I believe that it's important for us to be chivalrous. And if you don't know what chivalrous means, ask your wife, she'll tell you. Um, I can't spell it, but I can use it in a sentence, okay? Uh, it's okay to be chivalrous. It's okay to, to be a gentleman, in other words. Uh, it's okay to, it's good to hold the door for your wife. It's good to, uh, to be kind and caring and compassionate. But too often in society, we're told that we have to be macho. And I want, on the other hand, I don't want to just be macho. I want to be tough. I want my boys to know that I'm tough for now. One day they'll realize that I'm not. I remember the day when, when, when things changed in my house growing up. My dad and I, we used to wrestle all the time. And uh, when I was uh, in eighth grade, I started to, to do some bodybuilding. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm decrepit now. Um, but I remember the time when we were wrestling and I picked my father up off the ground and threw him on the couch and broke my mother's brand new couch. Didn't go over too well. Um, but I think it's good to be tough. Uh, I think it's important that, that we raise men, uh, not, uh, you know, I want my boys to be men, strong, capable men. Amen. But there, 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 there's a balance there that we need to maintain. Though we can be strong and capable, I believe we ought not neglect, uh, neglect the spiritual. The Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. The greatest men I've ever met, though they were, they were strong men, they were capable men, but the greatest men I've ever met were godly men. Yeah. And God used them in a phenomenal way to impact my life, to influence me. And I believe, men, you and I, we can do the same in our own homes. Yes, there is toxic masculinity. When, when men think, you know, it's okay to be rude, crude, uh, perverted, uh, you know, they're... they're those, those things ought not be characteristic of a Christian man. Uh, we ought to pursue godliness in our lives. And, and part of that stems from our own maturity. And as we look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, of course, this is the great chapter of love. Uh, it's the great chapter of Christian charity. Uh, that word charity uh, has its roots in the Greek word agape, which is the love of Christ. And so if we were to demonstrate love, we would, we would look at the life of Jesus Christ because there's none, there was no person to ever tread this earth greater than Jesus Christ. He is, he is the example that we all uh, should follow after. You should not look to me because I will fail you, I will disappoint you, and uh, however, Jesus Christ will never fail. 
The Bible says in, in, in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, the Bible tells us, you know, think, that, think how strong Jesus was for just a moment. How, how he endured such contradiction of sinner against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Jesus was beaten and tortured. Uh, I, I remember standing in Gabbatha, the place where, in, in, in the old city of Jerusalem, the place where Jesus uh, was, was brutally beaten beyond recognition. A lesser man would have died by, simply by the beating that Jesus took. But he endured that. He was strong. He was capable. But if you remember what Jesus or what is what John said about Christ in John chapter one and verse fourteen, he says, "And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." And Jesus was a very gracious man. He he spoke sharply to the religious uh, leaders of his day because they sought to make doctrines of the commandments of men. However, Jesus was full of grace and truth. He dealt carefully with people. Uh, he dealt kindly with people, compassionately with people. And Jesus was so tender and so godly that the children would flock to him. And he said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is a godly man. Amen? Amen. He's God incarnate. And there's no greater example for us to follow. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we find the great description of his love. And that, and that his love, the love of Christ, is charity, which is selfless, self-sacrificing, uh, is, is never going to fail. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we read together here in God's Word. We're going to begin in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse Number 11, the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow my, my goods to feed the poor, and though I give, give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which uh, is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a, a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. And Lord, our prayer is that you would help us today as we come to the Word of God. Lord, that you would still our minds. Lord, that you would still our thoughts. 
and that all of our attention would be fixed completely upon Thee. Lord, we ask today that You would do a work that no man can do, but that You would transform our hearts. Father, that You would help us become more like Jesus Christ. Lord, may You reveal to us not simply our need, but Lord, the answers we need to meet that need. And so, Father, we thank You for the provisions of the Bible. We pray that You'd speak to us clearly today. Open our eyes, Lord, we ask that we may behold marvelous things from your law. And again, Lord, if there's anyone joining us today who does not know Christ as their Savior, our prayer is that today would be the day of their salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, again, I'd like to draw your attention back to verse number 11. There's an expression there in that verse I encourage you to, to take note of last week. And it's from this expression, from this statement, that last week's message, this morning's message, and next Sunday morning's message will come. The Bible says there in verse number 11, when I became a man. Now, of course, this, uh, this passage is not, is not speaking merely to, to manliness or to manhood, but, to, but rather to maturity. Now, the goal in our Christian lives is that we would become more like Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter, we're told, he's saying, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, at the moment of salvation, I remember uh, the night I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. It was January 7th, 1989. I knelt there beside my bed. My mother uh, shared the gospel with me, and, and I, I asked the Lord to forgive my sin and be my Savior. It was the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. But may I tell you, that was not the end. It was only the beginning. Too often times, however, we, we think, well, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, I'm good to go, but that's not the case. The Lord has so much more for you. And uh, you and I, we, we are established, we are to be established uh, in the present truth. We're thankful uh, for the Word of God. But you and I, we're to grow in our, in our walk with Jesus Christ. I want you to hold your place here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to turn with me, if you would, quickly to 2 Peter I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 1. Of course, we see even the command that God gives us to grow in our, in our relationship with Christ. So I pray, before we were just, I want you to know, I pray that I'm different now than I was yesterday. I pray that I'm, I, I pray that I'm more mature in my walk with the Lord uh, than, than, I was, than, I, than I was as a four-year-old when I accepted Him as my Savior. Okay? And that's a long time. That's a long time. 33, almost 34 years have, of time have elapsed. And I pray that I'm more mature now as a Christian than I was back then. And I, my wife hopes so too. Sometimes even though I behave like a teenage boy, uh, you know, immature, goofy, I pray that I, I behave more like a man at times, or most of the time. But notice what the Lord commands us here. And, and second, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter We'll be in 2 Peter tonight. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all, and all evil speakings. And notice in verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. There's a, there's a comma there after babes. As newborn babes, comma, desire the sincere milk of the word. So you and I, um, how many of you parents... Remember the day you brought your child home from the hospital, right? Remember they cried all the time? Why did they cry? Because they were hungry. 
They were desiring to be fed. They, some of our children, we've got four boys. Some of our children cried more than others. But every child craves milk. Every child, every infant craves uh, the sustenance they need to grow. And as newborn babes, that's how you and I are supposed to behave. We're to act like babies. Though, don't act like a baby, if that makes anything. Don't be a baby, just act like one. And desire to grow in your walk with the Lord. The Bible says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. God's goal for you is to grow. The Apostle Paul said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. So in other words, there's, there's not only that desire, but there's also comes with it the realization that in this life, we're, we've never arrived. You will never, you will never get to the point in your life where you will not need to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I believe the Apostle Paul is perhaps one of the most godly men that ever walked the earth. Penned many books from the New Testament, all these short little epistles that, that, are, that are full of doctrine and truth and, and practicality, yet he said, not as though I'd already attained. Either were already perfect, but you know what he did say also? But I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended by Christ Jesus. He made the statement, I, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We, he understood the great need was to grow in his likeness to Jesus Christ. And may that be our realization as well, that we must pursue Jesus Christ. Because I cannot be godly without him. And uh, it would be a, a, an exercise in futility uh, to, tr to try to, to live the Christian life apart from Jesus Christ. But we look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I just want you to note just a couple more things here before we, before we move on. In verse number 11, again, you, you should have marked a couple uh, verbs in, your, in, in the verse there. The verb was and the verb became. There's, there, has, there needs to be this, uh, this transformation that takes place in your life. Of course, th you know, I used to be this, but now I am this. And may I tell you, we are what we are by the grace of God. And may, may the Lord help us today understand our need to grow and to become more mature in our walk with Jesus Christ and in verse number 11, there are three statements that Paul makes. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. So, how many of you remember when you were a little child, you thought differently than you think now? When you were a little child, you didn't think about bills. You didn't think about having to pay your taxes. Tick-tock, people, time's coming. You didn't, you didn't think about all of the responsibilities, the mortgage payment. You didn't think about auto and home insurance. We didn't think about grocery shopping. We were just consumed with eating the groceries. But now that, now that we're grown, now there are things that we tend to, that we have to tend to, that we never had to think about before. And the same is true in our Christian lives. You know, we, we were children, but now our desire is to become more mature 
and more like Jesus Christ. And all of our speech and all of our understanding, if you remember, it all stems from our thoughts. Everything in your life is downstream from what you think and how you think. And last week we, we emphasized how to, how to grow in our maturity concerning our thoughts. And we must renew our mind. We must remain in God's word. We must remove those, those influences that would lead us away from maturity and cause us to, to be carnal and, and to fall into sin. But this morning we, we look on and we come to the next statement. I want you to note it right there in the midst of verse number 11. He says, not only did he, he says, I spake as a child, but notice, I understood as a child. What does this mean? What does he mean by the fact that he understood as a child? The word understanding means a sentiment uh, or, a, or a, something that you're presupposed to. And, and what he's really speaking of is, is, is our understanding, our affection, which is ruled by our emotion. When I, and so I look here and, and I see, you know what, I understand things, but so oftentimes my understanding is clouded by, by how I feel. It's clouded by how I perceive things. Oh, it's clouded, it's, it's determined by how I judge things. Now remember, everything begins with the truth. I want my life to be, to be governed by truth. Do you realize that today there is truth? Everybody, the world is changing, isn't it? And it's scary. It's changing at a very rapid pace. Uh, wokeism, all of these things, they're, they're redefining, they're, they are redefining our culture before our very eyes. And, and in a world that, that is so uh, rapidly changing, it is refreshing and encouraging to understand that you and I have truth. God's word is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. Why? Because it's the word of God. It, the, the Bible says, The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of our Lord endureth forever. The psalmist said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You and I, we have the truth. In the garden, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he prayed for you. And may I tell you, he's still praying for you. And you know what his prayer involved? In John chapter 17, in verse 17, he prayed for you saying, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Bible says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son has therefore set you free, ye shall be free indeed. Aren't you thankful for Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful for his word? So this morning as we come to the word of God, I, think, I believe it's imperative that we understand the great need we have not to be governed by, by emotion, not to be governed by, by, by our affection for something, but to be governed by the truth. In the word of God, there's an overwhelming emphasis upon understanding. I want you to hold your place here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And turn with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter number 4, the Bible emphasizes again our need for understanding. In Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse number 4, the Bible says this, He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. So, there's, there is a blessing and a promise always connected to our obedience. Do you want God's blessing on your life? 
Absolutely. Then we simply need to obey. Obey what? Obey the Bible. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 5, it says, get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. What is wisdom? I believe we could define wisdom as the practical application of truth. We understand what the Bible says, and then we can apply it to our lives. Do you know who the master preacher was? Able to take such great and profound truth that, that is humanly complicated, simplify it, and cause us to apply it to our lives. You know who it was? It was Jesus Christ. There's, none greater, there's no greater preacher than Jesus. He boiled down the most complex things and, and put them on the bottom shelf for simple-minded people like me. And he helps us understand the, the great blessings connected to obedience. Look ahead in, in Proverbs chapter 16, and look what the Bible says beginning in verse number 16. Proverbs 16, 16, he says, How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? More we think of inflation. We need more gold, don't we? To offset the inflation. You know, he says, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding, rather, uh, to be chosen than silver. There, there's great value in wisdom. There's great value in understanding. And as, as a godly man that we desire to become, you and I, we need God's grace, don't we? The, the greatest benefit you can have as you lead your family is the ability to discern what God would have you do and follow Him in sincerity and in truth. There have been times in, in my wife and I, marriage, we've been married almost 16 years, you really need to pray for her. But we've, God's led us through some, some pretty tumultuous times. Just things happening in our lives, happening in our family, being, being fired, being, uh, we had, being poor. I remember uh, we were moving from, from out west, we were moving back east, and I remember it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and we were, I was driving a, a, the biggest Penske truck you could find, full of our things, with a trailer hauling our car, and I'm in Rollins, Wyoming. And I stopped to, to fuel up the truck, and there was no money left on my debit card. That's a, that's a heart, disheartening feeling, isn't it? Being left with nothing. I remember, I mean, I remember bouncing a check. These young ones don't know what checks are. They're pieces of paper that you sign that in and of themselves have no monetary value. But they work to exchange money from bank accounts so you can pay bills, right? I remember bouncing a check. It was awful. But you know what? God is good. God provides. God sustains. God helps as we pursue Him, as we seek to obey Him, there's only been a couple times like that in our marriage. We've, now we've, there's been some lean times. But through it all, God has been good. 
And God has given us wisdom and understanding to navigate through those times. Because I don't want to live a life fueled by emotion. Fueled by what I personally love. I want my life to be directed by God and His Word. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so we think about our understanding and our need to grow in our understanding. I don't want to be immature in my understanding. I want to mature in my understanding. How many of you have have children? How many of you think if you gave them the choice between broccoli and ice cream that they'd eat broccoli? Unless they're really strange children, they might eat broccoli. But most children, I would say 99.99% of children would choose ice cream over broccoli. Why? Because it's sweeter. It's more satisfying than that crunchy broccoli. The only thing worse than uncooked broccoli is cooked broccoli. (laughs) No child left to themselves would choose broccoli over ice cream. Why? Because they love ice cream. And they don't like the taste of broccoli. See, as, as children, so oftentimes we decide things based upon how we feel toward them. This emotion, this sentiment, rather than in truth. You know, put some years on a child, they begin to understand the dietary and nutritional value of eating broccoli as opposed to eating ice cream. You know, I used to love eating ice cream late at night because that's the best time to eat a, a snack full of calories is right before you go to bed, you know. And I remember, I, my, you know, I suffered with inflammation in my, in my back and a lot of low back pain. And, and, and my wife, she's a lot smarter than I am, if you haven't guessed it by now. A lot more uh, she, intuitive than me. But she said, well, you need to stop eating so much junk. Because you'll feel better if you eat good things rather than bad things. But I don't like the taste of good things. I'd rather eat the bad things. Because I I enjoy their taste. Therefore, I have a sentiment toward ice cream rather than toward broccoli. But what God wants us today is to understand, is to grow in our understanding. To not live lives that are ruled by emotion. To not live lives that are are ruled by, by sentiment, but rather to be governed by truth. This morning I'd like for you to write three things down, three steps that you and I can take as we desire to, to grow in our maturity concerning this matter of understanding. The first truth we need to understand is that we must die to self. If we're going to grow in our understanding and be more like Christ and, and become more godly and mature, we must learn to die to self. Now that does not sound enjoyable at all, does it? 
this principle of death to self. I want you to look with me, if you would, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse number 31, the Apostle Paul makes this statement. In verse 31, he says, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the last three words of this short verse, the Bible says, I die daily. The greatest thing you and I can learn to do is learn to die to self. You see, since immature understanding stems from emotion, we must, we must die to self. And since our immature understanding is fueled uh, by emotion, it's not fueled by emotion, it should not be fueled by emotion, it should neither be fueled by the flesh. You know, I need to die to myself. I need to die to what I want. And I need to choose what God wants. But therein lies the battle. Paul said, the flesh I have always with me. But he also made this, uh, John also made the statement in 1 John chapter 2, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the things of this world, this world's system, everything that the world emphasizes, you know what, will one day perish? It's not lasting. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Well, what is God's will? Well, God's will, simply stated, is that we trust Christ as our Savior. That's the only way I will abide forever. That's the only way I'll live forever, is to... Trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation. But we, we need to, to look at what the world emphasizes and put those things to death. There are several places throughout the New Testament that, that God speaks concerning this truth. I want you to look at the, in John chapter number 12, the Gospel of John. In chapter 12, there is a profound verse. In John chapter 12, in verse number 24, the Bible says there in John chapter 12 and verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now Jesus Christ is speaking here. and He's got a great statement of profound truth that he wants us to grasp. He says, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. How many of you like to keep a garden? Uh, my wife uh, was down with her parents just Friday, and they planted a bunch of potatoes, like 150 pounds of potatoes they, they planted. That's a lot of potatoes. I like potatoes. I'm not complaining. But if they were to keep those potatoes in that sack, they never would have, well, potatoes might. You know, you give them some, some damp climate. When you think about the seeds that you plant, green beans, corn, wheat, cucumbers, if you keep, if you go to Lowe's and you go over to the flower and gardening side of the store and you find the, the, the tower of those burpee seeds, you can keep those seeds in that bag and they're never going to grow. 
But when you take, that, take a seed out and you put it in the ground, it does something. It dies. And in its death come, springs forth that stalk of corn, that vine that has all those cucumbers on it, that vine that has all the half-runner green beans that we love so much. But if it doesn't die, if it abides alone, it's going to remain alone. But if we want our lives to truly count, to truly matter, we must learn to die to self. Because if we do not die to self, if we do not die to what we want, if we do not die to what uh, our, our, our flesh craves, our lives will be barren. Our lives will be unfruitful. They'll be, they'll be marred by poor decision. Our lives will be, will be cumbered about with with, with remorse, with regret. And none of us want to live with that. We'll be, I, I wish I would have done that. If I could, if I could change anything, then I wish I would have just gone back and done this. Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you make that decision? Because I, I didn't feel like it. I didn't think I could. I was worried about all of these other things. In our Lord's great sermon on the mount in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18, it says that in all things He might have the preeminence, not us, my, my life should not be governed by me. If you want God's great blessing, then you'll learn to die to yourself. The Apostle Paul said, For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We must learn to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. Notice the second lesson that we learn. Not only do we die to self, but we must learn to ignore the temporal. Ignore the temporal. I want you to look with me, please, if you would, back to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter number 2. The prophet is writing on the eve of Judah's captivity. As he's writing, he, he can see the Babylonian army approaching Judah, ruled by Nebuchadnezzar. They were a ruthless bunch. They would lay siege to Jerusalem and horrible things would take place. Cannibalism, all kinds of awful things. The city would fall. The temple would be pillaged, ransacked, just torn down, burned, and destroyed. The children of Israel would be taken into captivity. And he's writing and he's got this great burden. He's overwhelmed. But God brings him to make a keen observation. In Habakkuk chapter number 2 and verse number 4, the Bible says this, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Would you mark that statement in your Bible? 
The just shall live by his faith. What is faith? Well, it's the opposite of pride. Some of us would say the opposite of faith is no faith. Well, no, the opposite of faith is trusting in myself for what I can do. You see that clearly in verse 4. Behold his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. Christians, either you're going to learn to trust God, or you're going to continue to trust yourself. But I know how great of a failure I can be. Therefore, I understand my need to, to live by faith and trust the Lord. And as we look around, the world is so, oh man, it is so full of hardship. It is so full of, of uncertainty. And even our eyes play tricks on us. Sometimes we, it appears as if things are worse than they truly are. How many of you, you can attest to that? You worry about what you perceive, and what you perceive never actually happens. Our eyes play tricks on us. We need to, we need to trust the Lord. We need to ignore the temporal. Because what, the, what we see will often determine our understanding and, and the decision-making of our lives. We need to ignore what we can see. The, the Bible says that for we, we, uh, we walk by faith and not by sight. But what is faith? Will you look with me, please, quickly? The book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse number 1, we find a great definition of what faith is. Or, or the description of faith, how it's described. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As we go down, as we were to take the time, which we won't, and read through chapter 11, we would see a statement repeated frequently. It's a statement by faith, or through faith. These men and women of old lived by faith. They were, they were trusting something. What were they trusting? Well, I want you to look ahead at chapter 12 of Hebrews. Chapter 12, and let's just begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Wherefore seeing, <laughs> seeing, isn't that interesting? Wherefore seeing, we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we have a life to live. If you are living your life, raise your hand. Oh, only a few of us. Okay. We're alive. How are you and I to live? According to verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus. Do you want to know what real faith is? There is the simplest definition we can find. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus. We need to ignore the temporal things. We need to ignore what we see and we need to fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ because the world is, is ever moving. The world is ever changing. But Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. We need to learn to trust in Him. Don't trust what you can see. We can, we can even rely upon His Word for we have a more sure word of prophecy. And you do well, you take heed thereto. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Friends, you and I, we have the Lord. We can look to Him. We can live by faith. 
Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 is such a powerful verse that it's repeated three times in the New Testament. We find it in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 17. We read it again in Galatians chapter 3 in verse number 11. And we read it once again in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38 saying, Now the just shall live by faith. Christians, we've got, if, if our understanding is going to grow in maturity, then we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. One of my favorite verses, I'm praying about making it my life's verse. It's found in Galatians chapter 2. Would you look there with me, please? In Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you want your understanding to grow in maturity, we've got to ignore the temporal. We've got to die to self. But notice the final lesson that we see here this morning is that we can encourage the brethren. Be an encouragement to somebody else. I want you to look what the Bible says in, back in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter number 23. Now David is not yet the king over Israel, but he would be soon. And for the last many years of his life here, in the context of this chapter, we find that, that David is running and hiding from King Saul, who in his jealous rage is seeking to kill David because he knows that, that God's hand is on David and that he would one day be king and that Saul's family would no longer be king. So it's kind of like a, a tribal war, if you would. And David is... He's fled, he's, he's, he's on the move, he's remained faithful to God, but trouble seems to be all around him. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. I should begin in verse number 14, it says, And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And notice at the end of verse 14, and Saul sought him every day. This is not a once in a while skirmish. Every day, Saul sought to kill David. Every day, David was literally running for his life. His life was hard. I wouldn't want that. Nor would you. The Bible goes on to say, but God delivered him not into his hand. Praise the Lord for God's faithfulness. I may tell you, God is faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God is faithful. It doesn't matter how, how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. You say It doesn't matter how you feel. Nor does it matter what you see. Look what the Bible says in verse 15. 
The Bible says, and David saw. (laughs) David saw there's that temporal again that we are to ignore. But the Bible says, and David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. He's just hiding out in the woods. But he had a friend. Perhaps an unlikely candidate. You see, Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Saul and Jonathan had great affection for one another. They were best friends. They had made a covenant between themselves like a blood oath. Jonathan knew that David had not sinned against his father. Jonathan knew too well that Saul's rage was fueled by his flesh, by his jealousy. He also understood how relentless Saul was and that he would not stop. And he warned David and he helped David many, many times. But the Bible says in verse number 16, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand in God. You know what that means? He he, he encouraged him. He went to him and said, Hey, listen, I know this is hard. I know we would change the circumstances if we could, but we can't. I know it seems perilous. I know it seems as if there's no hope. But let me tell you that it's going to be okay. And I believe that Jonathan looked back and and even spoke what, what God says at the end of verse 14. But God delivered him not into his hand. David understood that God is faithful You're the anointed king over all Israel. God anointed you to be king. And God is going to keep you. He's going to spare you. He he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it the day of Jesus Christ. God God is trustworthy. Does it ever appear, though, that God isn't? Does it ever appear that, that God is unkind? God is uncaring. That's why we ignore the temporal. Because even when it appears as if God is not kind or loving or caring, He is. And you know what? Sometimes we need someone outside the circumstance. To come in and to strengthen our hand in God. It's going to be okay. Christians, I don't know what you're going through today. But all I do know is that God is faithful. He'll not leave you. He'll not forsake you. And if you see a brother or sister in Christ struggling overwhelmed, discouraged, go to them. Remind them of God's goodness. Remind them of God's faithfulness because it's all right. You don't know that, Pastor. You don't know it's going to be all right. I do know it's going to be okay. 
Because God is faithful. Because God loves you. And he will help you. He will, stay, he will sustain you. He will uphold you with the right hand of his righteousness. We need to grow in our understanding, don't we? Let us not be a people that are governed by emotion. That are, that are governed by things that are not true. Let us die to self. Let us ignore the temporal look unto Jesus. And let us encourage those in need.